So we are in a series in Romans, and we have been in this series for about a year, close to a year. And we've been going verse by verse by verse by verse through the book of Romans without skipping one verse. We have completed eight chapters, and as has been our habit, we like to take a break every now and then and pull out themes from the chapters uh, that we weren't able to dig into because if we dug into every theme in the book of Romans, we would be in it for about 10 years. So what we like to do is just take a break and stay in Romans, but pull out themes of Romans. And so for the month of February, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing, if you will, a topical series, but it will still be rooted in the book of Romans. Now, how many of you know Romans 8.28? Okay, probably the second most famous verse in all of the Bible, outside of John 3.16. And Eddie, a few weeks ago, preached Romans 8.28, and it was a fantastic message. It's back on the website, eternalcity.org. And even though Eddie uh, did dig into that text a bit, it's impossible with one message to be able to say everything that needs to be said. And so I'm going to actually preach two topical sermons from Romans 8.28 within the next month here. One's today, and then another one in two weeks. So today, I'm going to do Romans 8.28 in reverse. How not to use Romans 8.28. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been well-intentioned, but slapped around with the Bible? Okay. If you've been slapped around with the Bible, then you know it doesn't feel good. And we don't want to be the ones who are well-intentioned, yet hurting people with the Scriptures. And so this verse is going to be basically about how to walk with one another, how to bear one another's burdens, and how to love one another without hurting them. Okay? So, how not to use Romans 8.28. Let me read it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, imagine this as, if you will, an introductory message on how to care for one another. It's impossible to say all that must be said when we're dealing with caring for one another or bearing one another's burdens. I'm not exaggerating here. Libraries of books are full of material on this topic. So don't expect to get everything that should be said here or could be said here. So we're just introductory here, okay? Just introductory. Let me see if I can fix. How's that? Is that a little better? Okay, good. So, when we're bearing one another's burdens, what we're doing is we are helping people in their wrestle with the emotional, psychological, spiritual, and even sometimes physical effects of situations, circumstances, events, tragedies, hardships, disappointments in their lives. We all have hard things come into our experience. Some of them, yes, are are a result of what we have done. 
And so we are the ones who are to, in a sense, blame for what is happening. But even so, we are experiencing hard things by my, my sound guy, Eric, saying, tighten up the little thing. Let's see if that helps. All right, we'll, we'll see if that helps. Um, we're, we all experience hard things, and we all respond to hard things in our lives differently. Some of us close down. Some of us run away. Some of us fight back. Some of us become obstinate. We all respond different ways when we're hitting suffering, trials, troubles. Okay? And some of us uh, seek to help others in their trials, in their troubles, in their sufferings. And maybe some of you have tried to help and you've gotten attacked while trying to help. Okay? I, I'm not sure what your experience is, but did you know that the Bible actually tells us that it is our duty to walk with other people in their pain and suffering? Did you know that? As a Christian, it's your duty to walk with others. There's many texts we could point to. I just want to point out one here. This is Galatians 6, 1 to 4. Now remember, the book of Galatians is a book primarily about the gospel. And the Galatian church was in danger of leaving the good news of Jesus, which simply put is Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection is 100% sufficient for our salvation. And we should add nothing to it, even good things, to try to earn God's favor. So the equation that's been given for Galatians is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. As soon as we add Jesus plus something, we're in danger of losing salvation because we're no longer relying on grace. We're relying on grace plus some kind of something else. And though we might not be trying to do this, what we're saying is, Jesus, your person and work on my behalf was not sufficient. That's what Galatians is about. Paul's wrapping up the letter in chapter 6. Okay, so this is application, and he's saying to these Galatians, this is how I want you to respond to all this gospel truth I just gave you in the previous five chapters. Brothers, that word is not demanding maleness in the Greek, which this letter was written in, so it could be translated brothers and sisters. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, what this is not saying is if you somehow creep up on someone and they don't see you and you catch them doing some kind of sin, ha, I got you. You then gently restore them. Now, this is more like you're hunting in the woods and you're in Alaska and there's underneath the snow, a giant caged bear trap. And you step on that thing unknowingly and it grabs your leg and you are stuck. You are caught. That's the idea here. You're caught in some kind of transgression. It has a hold of you and you would like to be freed from it, yet it has you. That's the idea here. You're caught in it. And you need help getting out of it. This is the idea of we need to walk alongside each other to help each other escape the burdens that we carry. We with? You guys with me so far? Okay. 
So, so let's pause a second. Let's try to figure this out. Look, I don't think it's this. I'm pulling on it. I'm wiggling it. It's distracting me. Usually I like to flow, and every time I hear it, I, I, I stop thinking about what I'm saying, and I think about the fuzzy, weird noise, the demon in the speaker. <laughs> what do you think it is? It doesn't bother you? All right, then it shouldn't bother me. But it does. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm going to pretend it's not doing it. I'm going to try to pretend, okay? All right, so imagine you're, someone's caught in a transgression. And the idea of someone being spiritual is you have some kind of maturity in your life to be able to come alongside somebody who is caught in a transgression and you help restore them. Or if you want to keep with the image, you are able to, with your spiritual strength, open that bear trap up and they're able to get out. And then you dress their wounds and you get them back to health. That's the image. And this is where we all want to be if we're not there yet. And listen, friends, if you're the one caught in a transgression, don't hide. You need other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ to walk alongside of you to help you out of that transgression. It's got you in its grips, and it is for freedom that Christ set us free. If we back up a chapter 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Don't allow sin and transgression, and unescapable temptation to hold you. Jesus came that you might be free. And the means to you becoming free is often not you in your own strength, or you in your Bible, or you in prayer. No, it's the body of Christ coming alongside you, helping you, aiding you, and amazingly, it's God through the body of Christ, most often as your means of small s salvation. Not capital S salvation. Jesus is the only Savior. I'm talking about salvation from current sins and sin patterns. The body of Christ comes alongside us, and you need to let the body of Christ in. Now, I'm addressing all of you right now as those who are spiritual helpers. Okay, That's the context of this message. You in this room are the helper of someone else, okay? And so we who are spiritual, I'm going to address all of you here in the language of Galatians 6.1. You're the spiritual ones. And your job, your responsibility is to come alongside others and help them. Keep watch. Now, here's the first line of exhortation or do this. When you're doing this, Paul says, make sure you do this. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Okay, number one, watch yourself when you're doing this. Don't neglect your own temptability. Oftentimes when we walk along other people who are caught in a sin, we get sometimes so close to sin that it can pull us in. Be careful. Don't put yourself in harm's way. It's not wise. The number two application to this is oftentimes when we come alongside someone and we're the helper, Satan comes to tempt us with pride. Look how strong you are. Look how great you are. You're the strong one here. 
And the minute you fall to that kind of logic and reasoning, you are now caught in a transgression. (laughs) It's so insidious. Satan is such a master at tempting and making the temptation look like it's not even there. And the minute you become puffed up and think you're something, because now you're the helper, you're the one helping other people, now you're actually caught in a transgression. And as C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, pride is actually the worst of all sins, though it seems to us not a big deal. He said all other sins in comparison are mere flea bites. And so we don't ever want to have this attitude like I am something because look at all these people I'm helping. They need me. And we become, if you will, the Savior. We don't want to become messianic in our view of ourselves. That would be very dangerous. Okay, so that's number one. Watch yourself lest you be tempted. Now, it might be obvious, but I need to say this. If that wasn't a real possibility, why would he say that right after saying, you need to help other people? Right after, uh, uh, hey, you guys who are spiritual, you need to help people who are caught. But then right afterward, but watch yourself because you too might be tempted. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, you know the law of Christ. It's the greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Someone testing him. What was his answer? I hear mumbles. (laughs) Yes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus in the upper room. A new command I give to you. What? Love one another. This is the law of Christ. Now, when we are loving one another, it comes out in specific ways. This is the specific way, and it's very nuanced, meaning there's a lot of expressions to the love of God. It's not just warm affection towards someone, though that is an expression of love. Here it is bearing one another's burdens. So imagine somebody's got this massive backpack of burden on. How many of you either were read Pilgrim's Progress as a kid or you've read it yourself? You remember that old John Bunyan book? Okay. And in the beginning, John Bunyan has this massive burden on his back, or John Bunyan, the character Christian, has a massive burden on his back and he's carrying it around. So imagine a backpack full of heavy, heavy bricks, perhaps lead bricks. And the person who is spiritual in this image comes alongside and helps to carry that burden so that it's lighter for the person with the burden. Perhaps you've labored in the past. How many of you have either built walls with bricks or you've carried shingles up a ladder or you've carried sand? Uh, Yeah, some of you have done this and you know how tiring that gets after about 10 minutes. (laughs) 10 minutes into that, you're like, oh my gosh. So somebody coming alongside you to share the load, if you will. They pick up some of the bricks, you pick up some of the bricks. Perhaps you're struggling to carry a heavy item and someone comes and says, hey, let's split it. And you get on one end and I get on one end and we share the load. That's what it is to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So in this context, we come alongside one another and we help them out of transgressions. And by doing that, friend, you are living the law of Christ, the law of loving one another as yourself. 
Verse 3. Now, another warning. Another warning. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, that's strange. We were just talking about love, and now you slap me in the face with, you're nothing. (laughs) What's up with Paul here? And, And the idea is this. Again, the temptability for us to think we're something because now we're helping someone else. That's the warning here. We always must remember that we are the ones who have received infinite mercy and grace. And so as a recipient, we can simply respond by showing mercy and grace to other people. Didn't Jesus say something about blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy? Go learn what this means, Jesus said to the experts in the law. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so if we think we're something because now we're helping, we are the spiritual and you are the unspiritual, then we are being tempted by the devil and by our flesh. That's the warning. Remember, you are nothing. Didn't Jesus say this in John 15? Up in the upper room once again, I am the vine. You are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Remember, we are simply vessels, or if we want to keep with the image, we are branches that bear fruit only because we're connected to the vine. The vine is Jesus, and the sap in the vine is the Holy Spirit and His power. And so therefore, if if we're just a vessel through which this power flows, then we should not be arrogant and prideful as if we are something. Now, false humility says, I am nothing, and we announce our nothingness. We're we're constant. We won't even receive a thank you because I'm just nothing. I'm dirt. And you pick up dirt and you pour it on yourself. I identify, identify with the dirt. That's not, that's false humility. You want to be seen for how humble you are. That's an expression of reverse pride. Let's not do that either. It's, you can receive a thank you, okay? But don't let it raise you up as if you're floating off the ground. Nope. Don't do that. All right. But, but, so here's an alternative. Let each one test his own work. Now, that's a strange expression. What he's saying is, look at yourself instead of looking at others to compare your righteousness, what we often do is we, we play comparison games with people, right? We, we size everyone up and we see how they're doing and then we feel good about ourselves because look how much better we're doing. And so it's a comparison game with other people. But isn't it interesting that there's a lot of people out there doing way better than you? And so when you compare yourself with people doing better than you, you feel very small. But when you compare yourself with other people who are doing terrible, you feel very tall. You should do neither. And so he's saying, test your own work, then your reason will be to boast in yourself and not in your neighbor. I think what he's saying, or that's a confusing sentence, but what I think he's saying is, compare yourself maybe with your past self and see how far you've come. And and I do this often, friends. I I love, I just had the opportunity, I was praying with a a pastor from New York on Thursday, and uh, it was just he and I on the call. There were supposed to be a bunch of other guys, so we had a chance to hear each other's stories. And I told my story from childhood to thug life, drug life, to, you know, 
juvenile detention center life to parole officer life and, and on to now. And I was reminded again of how far I've come. And you know what I never do? I never say, Chris, you are awesome, man. I should probably be standing here and you guys should sing to me. Let's just do a song to Chris right now. Go ahead. Blasphemous, right? It's not me. It's God through me making me a new person. If anyone's in Christ, he, she, new creature, new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Friends, I am not who I used to be, but also praise God, I'm not right now who I will be in the future. I got a long way to go. But if I compare myself right now with who I used to be, I can see massive progress. And that's what you should do. So don't pick up your favorite theologian's systematic theology and think yourself an idiot. Don't compare. I mean, maybe that's a good exercise in humility. <laughs> maybe. But that's not the way to judge your growth and progress. And in the context, remember, it's you helping someone else and so feeling tempted towards pride. Rather, stop comparing yourself with the person who's deep into a transgression and you feel arrogant and prideful because you're something, you're not where they are. Rather, compare yourself with yourself. And then verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. Now, that's weird because if you look at verse 1, it says, uh, bear one another's burdens. But then in verse 5, it says, each one will have to bear his own load. Isn't that a contradiction? No, it's not. And here's why. The reason it, it says a little bit nuance in the, in the English is because it's a whole different word in the Greek, okay? And the word in the Greek in verse 2 is burden or weight. Burden or weight. In verse 5, the word means uh, burden, load, or cargo, but it's in, an entirely different word. And so here, here's what it means, Okay? Here's what it means. We come alongside people and help them carry their burdens. But ultimately in the end, friends, it's only the person who can truly do the work with God to change. And they have to be responsible for their doing their work with God to actually change. Did you know that you cannot change anybody? Did you know that you cannot make people do what you know to be right? Did you know that no matter how much wisdom you pour on people, they might do the exact opposite? Do you know why? Because they have to bear their own load. Friends, you cannot change people. And that is super helpful advice when we're doing this kind of stuff. You can't change people. You know what you can do, though? You can walk alongside people and let God use you as a tool to help people bear their burdens. And so I said it in a way to alleviate frustration, but maybe I need to alleviate some guilt, too, because you know what? You're not responsible to change people either. God doesn't hold you accountable for the way people respond to your bearing their burden. Isn't that good news? I have spent most of my pastoral career, that's a dumb way to say it, most of my pastoral ministry counseling people, 
I counsel people multiple times a week, sometimes in one day, multiple people in one day. And you know what I used to do? I used to take it like personal and I used to bear the responsibility when people did not respond the way I needed them and wanted them to respond. I would take it personal. And so this is kind of what it would look like. If I was involved in doing this kind of work and someone would crash, I would crash. If the relationship would go south, I would go south emotionally. If, I'll, I'll be honest with you, there came a point in my ministering, discipling, bearing one another's burdens, I remember the weight being so heavy that I thought to myself, if one more person comes into this church with needs, I am going to die. Friends, I was doing it wrong. I was taking it personally like I was the Messiah. You cannot do that. Learn from my experience. You cannot save people. Let me say that again. You cannot save people as much as you want to. God has to save them. Now, the beautiful thing is, he might use you in that process. But God alone saves. Okay. So, we have to bear one another's burdens, but each one has to bear their own burdens. You cannot, I'm going to be a little crass here, you cannot pull people into the kingdom of God. You cannot babysit people into the kingdom of God. You cannot with force, because you're bigger than them and stronger than them and no jujitsu, you can't martial arts them into the kingdom of God and into righteousness. You can't. Only God can. And so there has to come a point where in your burden bearing, you have to transfer the responsibility over to them. Because you know what? I've, I've had some wives in the past say to me, you need to make my husband do this. And it's like, no, I can't make your husband do anything. And you shouldn't put that kind of responsibility on me. Because people would get mad at me because I couldn't make their spouse respond in a certain way. Friends, don't let people do that to you. That's not what's being said here. So we are to bear one another's burdens, but at the same time, people need to bear their own load. Does that make sense? Okay, and I'm so happy that Paul did this within the, the span of five verses here. All right, now I've had great help. Wow, I've been talking for a long time. I hardly have any time, and I, that was like introduction. Seriously, that was my introduction. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to skip a lot, but at the same time, I do have some helpful quotes here that I'd like to give you. Um, I have been very helped by Brad Hambrick. He's an author and biblical counselor. Uh, he wrote a journal entry in the Journal of Biblical Counseling. If you'd like to look it up, it's uh, volume 28, number three. And it's about how not to use Romans 8.28. That's the basics of his article. And I would highly recommend picking up. You do have to pay for it, but it would be well worth the, the money you would spend. Here's what uh, Brad says. Whether it's formal counseling or a friendship, ministering in a situation like this, bearing one another's burdens, involves joining someone on a hard journey rather than simply giving directions. 
So here's what this looks like, friends. And the rest of this message is going to be unpacking bearing one another's burdens. When we do this, what is most helpful is that you come alongside the person in a journey. You're not just simply like your Maps app saying, turn here and turn here and turn here and turn here. You're actually journeying with them. And if you think about when you've been most helped by people, isn't it the people who stick in it with you for the long haul? They're there when you're at the bottom, but they're also there when you're in victory mode. And they stick in there and they remind you, hey, this is a journey. This is going to take some time. This is not quick fix. Okay? So remember, we are journeying with people here. We're not giving them directions. I thought that was such a helpful way to think about it. We cannot rush the process of healing by slapping people around with Bible verses. Okay? And this is often the way we think people get helped. It's like we got a catalog of helpful verses. People give us a problem and we're like Romans 8, 28 or, you know, any other one. Corinthians, whatever. And we smack people around. Now, I'm being crass, but you've all been smacked with Bible verses, right? And it's super helpful every time. What we don't want to do is beat people up with the Bible and tell them how they should feel and what they should be doing, giving directions, basically. That's not helpful. Now listen, there will be a time to bring in Bible verses. God's word is helpful. God's word is what people need. But friends, to slap someone with the Bible is not what they need. And I know that's a crass way of saying it, but this is the truth. Oftentimes, friends, when, when we change, it takes a very, very long time. And we're so used to high-speed internet and streaming. Did you know that when I was a kid, I had to wait until Saturday for cartoons to come on? And I remember being so excited on Saturday. Now my kids are like, Amazon Fire Stick, you know, and then they talk to it. My son's Bluey, you know, and he, and he puts Bluey on. It, they, it, what you want, when you want it, as fast as you want it. And then if the little wheel starts spinning... You start throwing things at the TV. Hurry up. You throw your popcorn. You're getting mad. Or your app doesn't load as fast as you want, and you start hitting the button as if you make it go faster. Or some of us who have anger problems, we start punching our phone, yelling at it. How many of you have yelled at Siri? Be honest. Yeah, you've yelled at Siri. How many of you have yelled at Alexa? Come on. I know you have. She don't get it right. You're mad. So I actually did this just to see what would happen. I said, Siri, you're terrible. You know what she responded? That's not nice. (laughs) Siri, you are worthless. I won't respond to that. And I figured I better stop there because I could keep insulting Siri. It felt wrong even to insult an artificial intelligence, but I just wanted to see what would happen. And so I did it. God doesn't operate, friends, at microwave speed or lightning-fast internet speed. Did you know that God is into process and sometimes waiting? Did you know that? Now, we don't like that. We want it fast. Get me out of this now. 
Change my situation and circumstance now. And God is not that kind of God. And so, friends, we must exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember, you who are spiritual. Now, where is the definition in Galatians of spiritual? Remember, Galatians 6. If we backed up a chapter, where would we find the definition of spiritual? The fruit of the Spirit. That's right. It would look like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so when we walk with people, friends, we need to be patient. God doesn't move according to our timetable. And we will want the process to be much faster than it actually takes. Isn't that true for your own life? Think about yourself. Aren't you tempted to say, God, hurry up. Here's Brad again. Walking with people, quote, at a human pace, a pace that is patient with a person, we need to allow time and space for sufferers to be messy or theologically incorrect. Now, that's hard for us who are theologically astute. They say something wrong, and we're like, hmm. And you, you feel like you need to correct them on the spot. It's like, hold up, wait a minute. Rewind. Listen to Brad's argument. Now, remember, this comes from the Journal of Biblical Counseling of CCF of Westminster. There, there is like no other top school, in my opinion, in the United States. So this is a very theologically rich and astute uh, journal that this is coming out of, okay? Allow time and space for the sufferer to be messy or theologically incorrect on the journey toward coming to peace with God and what has happened to them. We walk at this pace because this is how God so kindly walks with us. Now, let me ask you a question. You're a brand new Christian. Are you theologically accurate in all your systematic theology categories instantaneously? No, you are not. You are way off. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 20 years. Trust me, you're still pretty way off. (laughs) Friends, isn't it amazing how patient God is with us to even let us have wrong ideas about him and the world and the way he operates in the world? How many aha moments have you had when reading the Bible or listening to a sermon or reading a book and you're like, I thought the opposite. And yet God was patient with you up until that point. Now what's funny is when usually when we get a hold of some good theology, it somehow goes from this joyous thing to some kind of weapon. And then we weaponize the Bible and hurt other people with it, especially those who don't agree with us. How many of you know what it's like to pull out the sword of scripture and slice people up with it, especially when they don't agree? It's like, wait a minute, what did you say? And we take the stance. (laughs) Somehow look like a samurai. Friends, that's not bearing one another's burdens. That's what I mean by we're not to slap people around with scripture. Remember how patient God was with you when you were in error. It's not that we don't ever get to correcting people. It's just you have to be very careful. Very careful. Now, helpful truth for the helper. Jesus is the Savior. 
Now that sounds obvious, but if you've ever tried to be the small S savior, man, is that good news. How many of you have tried to small S, not save people from hell, not save people eternally, not forgive them all their sins, but save them from their current mess? How many of you have tried to be the Savior? How many of you have been really frustrated trying to be the Savior? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, two hands on a lot of us right now. (laughs) It's so helpful for us to remember that Jesus is the Savior. I remember early on in ministry, I, I would be lamenting to fellow pastors And they would say the same thing to me in different ways. You're not the Messiah. And I'd be like, I know I'm not the Messiah. Shut up. I know. I know I'm not the Savior. And that was obvious to me. But it wasn't, listen, functionally obvious to me. Theologically, of course. I know I'm not the Savior. But I was functioning as if I needed to save people. And when they didn't get saved from their circumstance or situation or predicament they were in, I felt responsible for them. Not good. I am not the Savior. Friends, you are not the Savior. And that is good news that Jesus is actually the Savior. Here's a a few helpful verses. Speaking of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Now, the high priest here in context of Hebrews 4 is Jesus. He is the ultimate high priest to which all the Old Testament high priests pointed to. This high priest, Jesus, is able to sympathize, understand, enter in to our weaknesses. Why? Why? Somebody. Because... He experienced them as we did. Listen, God didn't stay on high, unapproachable, untouchable, dwelling in glorious light. No, He became one of us. Friends, He entered into the darkness and not just into the darkness as a king to be exalted and to be at a distance just so we could look at Him and marvel. No, friends, He came as one of the most poor on the earth 2,000 years ago. To the point where when he was told by a follower, I'll follow you wherever you go. What was his response? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, I'm homeless. You want to follow me? You ready for this life? Jesus chose to dwell among the most broken, the lowliest, and the outcasts to the point where the religious leaders were constantly saying things like this. Why does he fellowship with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? Why is Jesus always kicking it with the addicts? Maybe he's one too. Why does he always reject us? the elite. And Jesus would say things in response like, listen, I didn't come to help the healthy. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but what? Sinners to repentance. So Jesus came for those who knew they were in need. And who are the people that know they're in need? 
the very broken. Now listen, when you get into the lives of the very broken, you know what you're going to find? Mess. So be ready to step in the mess. This sounds exciting when talking about it. When you get that call in the middle of the night, it's not so awesome. Or when you get the repeated call. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, you're like, oh no. (laughs) Call back. I'm not talking about any of you in here, so don't. (laughs) I'm really not. I'm not aiming that at anyone. I love you all. Feel free to call me in the middle of the night. Call me five times. I promise I'll pick up on the sixth, all right? We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. He's not going, I don't get it. I don't understand. What's the problem here? No. But one who in every respect, look at that, every respect, every respect has been tempted as we are. In other words, Jesus knows what it's like to go through the worst of temptations to sin. Yet without sin. Man, is that good news. So he sympathizes with us, not as one who has given into temptation, but one who has been victorious over temptation. Listen, for us. Do you realize that you, united to Jesus by grace, through faith, that yet without sin is yours. God the Father looks at you as if you are yet without sin. It's amazing because we have the righteousness of Christ and we have the sinlessness of Christ. It's ours. And these are some of the truths we must remind people of. In addition to Jesus being able to draw near and sympathize with you, his righteousness is yours when you screw up. His forgiveness is yours when you screw up. How many times? Seven times? No. 70 times seven. Metaphor for over and over and over and over. His mercies are made new every morning. Since this is the case, verse 16, let us then with confidence, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. So imagine God as this throne of majesty, but it's a throne of grace. Grace is favor that you can't earn, that you could do nothing to get, but you can only receive it. And you are being invited here to draw near to this gracious throne. For what? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help when? In time of need. Friends, people need to realize, you need to realize, I need to realize, we can go to God and find not crossed arms, not furrowed brows, not kind of smoke coming out the nostrils ready to blast you with fire, rather grace in your time of need. Friends, run to God and you will find him with open arms. That's what this is saying. Jesus understands temptation, but not from a place of falling to it but from a place of being tempted. Did you know that he knows our frame? He knows that we're dust. Why? 
Friends, he became dust as well. He knows what it's like to be so exhausted that he falls asleep in the middle of a raging storm and the disciples have to wake him up. Not just disciples though, but seasoned fishermen. Don't you care that we perish? You remember the story. And he gets up, probably soaking wet, water dripping off his beard. He's like, be still and glass. And they're like, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And they're all tempted to jump out of the boat and flee his presence. Because the raging storm's a little more comforting. But friends, here, the throne is with open doors, full of grace, full of mercy. And believe it or not, I'm out of time. And I'm like a quarter through the message. Okay? So... Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to skip a lot. Let me figure out what I want to drill in on here. All right. I want to talk real quick about being patient and walking with people. And then we're going we're gonna to land the plane here. Brad, once again, in his helpful article says this. If we reflect on what has been most meaningful during our own times of suffering, we will likely find it was presence more than precept. Now again, he's not saying don't do precept. He's simply saying your presence matters. And empathy more than exhortation. Okay, now, let me nuance empathy, okay? By empathy, we can imagine capital E empathy and small e empathy, okay? Capital E empathy, in my opinion, and my judgment from experience is not helpful, okay? Capital E empathy is you entering fully in and feeling and experience what it, blah, experiencing whatever the other person is feeling. If I could use the image, they're out in the lake drowning And so for you thinking you need to be a helper, you go out and you also drown with them. That's capital E empathy. As they're choking, you're also choking. As they're like, I can't breathe, you're like, I can't breathe either. (laughs) That's not helpful. You're both going to die. Small E empathy is much more helpful. You feel for this person enough that you are willing to jump in and help. And so you actually stand on the shore where it's solid and you care enough not just to say, swim, kick your legs. No, you actually throw them a life preserver and they grab it and you use your strength and you pull them in. But notice, if you get in there and drown with them, you're both going to die and no one has helped. And so friends, we must remain solidly planted while entering in. Presence, empathy, but not over-empathy. Now, what you'll find is when you walk with people, okay, let let me just imagine a first time you're you're in the middle of, of hearing something for the first time, tragedy has just struck, you're getting the call. Friends, the best thing to do after they share the story is not start throwing around scripture. It's best to say, I am so sorry that this is happening. 
I feel, and just be honest, what do you feel in the moment? That hurts my soul. I hurt with you. Okay? And you enter in and be present with them before you pull out any Bible verses. Okay? Now, just think about your own experience. Is it helpful when people come alongside you and you know they are with me in this? Versus somebody from a distance throwing out truths. What's been more helpful for you? Now, again, I'm not against truths. I've been speaking truths for the last 45, 47 minutes. And some of you are like, hurry up. I can tell it's been 47 minutes. <laughs> All right. Let's do this one and, and we'll be done. This is the truth for us, friends. God is our refuge and our strength. Do you know what refuge means? It means place to hide. It means shelter from the storm. It means a place to go in the middle of trial and trouble and being seized by temptation's grip. Where do we go to find help and strength? God. Why? He's a very, look, present. Present. Or you could translate it well-proved. He proves himself over and over and over. Help in trouble. When we are helping people, friends, we have to continually point people to God and show them he is with you. I am with you and he is with you. I am with you and he is with you. You will have time to share scripture, trust me. You'll have a ton of time to share scripture. I'm, it's a tool that you must use, but I'm asking you not to pull it out immediately. God is our very present help in a time of trouble. Okay? Be present with the person. Let them know that you are here with them, that you feel them, that you are a help in this moment. But in more importance, God is with us. Okay? Now, listen, is it wrong to pull out the scripture when somebody calls you with tragedy? No, it's not wrong. In fact, this might be the very scripture that someone needs to hear. Like, hey, I want to read this, and we're going to pray through this. Okay? Look, God is a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, now this is going to be exaggerated poetic language for tragedy and trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In other words, because we have God, we don't have to fear the worst of circumstances. Now, friends, let, let, all right, let me just paint an ugly picture. Someone has had something terrible happen to them, and you get the call, and they're like, I'm so afraid. What you should not do is say, you should not be afraid. Like, immediately, you should not be afraid. And, and just read them this verse. You know what? It's wrong for you to be afraid right now. Let me read this verse again. Friends, don't do that. I am with you in this. And more importantly, God is with you in this. Now, where are you getting this from? Galatians 6, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And all the other verses I just mentioned. Now, listen, we can pull out Romans 8, 28. 
when trying to help people. But you know what? We never pull it out of context. Did you know that Romans 8.28 follows 25, 26, and 27? Do you know what 25 and 26 and 27 say? That the Spirit groans for us with words that can't be uttered. That He prays for us in our suffering when we don't know what to pray for. And He prays for us according to God's will. In other words, the Spirit enters into our trouble, and even the trouble that's so troubling it can't be expressed, the Holy Spirit is there with you, and He is expressing those troubles to God on your behalf, and you know that, and having that knowledge that the Spirit is with you, even though you are groaning, hey, creation's groaning too. And you know what else? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is groaning as well for you, to God. And then comes Romans 8.28. For God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What would not be helpful is if something terrible is happening, you get the call, and the very first thing you say is, God works all things together for good. Is it true? 100%. And you know what? Whatever they're going through, he actually will work it out for their good. What I'm saying is, be very wise about when you use Romans 8.28. You should use it. You should use, uh, God is a very present help in times of trouble. You know what maybe you could do first is go to Psalm 13 or Psalm 88. Those are dark psalms. And the psalmist is expressing grief and pain and wrestle with God because that's probably more where they're at. What we often want to do is fix it fast because we feel uncomfortable. And we're like, I don't know what to say. I don't want to be in this hard, dark place. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So feel better. All right, I got to get back to bed. I'll call you in the morning. Not helpful. Okay, now, I've run way out of time, and if I could just show you here. And these are all verses that are going to appear on the screen. I, I can't do it. We're already out of time. So here's, her, here's, let's land it right now. And if you want to come talk to me later, I will direct you into, you know, deeper depths and higher heights. Okay. That's all I got time for right now. I always overprepare. Here's what I will say. If you've been piqued in your interest here, our bookstore is absolutely loaded with help for you. We have a whole stand-up rack back there of specific troubles and trials people are going through, and I would encourage you to read them and to familiarize yourself with how to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What I'm asking you not to do is don't panic and just quote Scripture to people. Rather, walk with them. Assure them that you're with them. Assure them that you're going to journey with them. Pray with them. Encourage them. Don't slap people around with the Bible. Okay? And if you've ever been slapped around with the Bible, you know it doesn't help. It doesn't help. All right. The greatest news for sufferers is that Jesus did not stand distant from our suffering. Rather, 
he came into the very heart of it. Did you know that Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to do something about your darkness and your suffering and your trial and your trouble. Rather, he actually entered into our very darkness, into our trial, into our trouble. And not only did he enter into it, did you know that on the cross, he absorbs it? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is such good news that Jesus is a sympathetic high priest who not only understands temptations, but he enters into the very heart of darkness for us and not just darkness in general, but your darkness. Did you realize that on the cross, it was your very sins that Jesus soaked up the wrath for? My past life, Jesus suffered for on the cross. Your past life, if you're a Christian, Jesus suffered for on the cross. Friends, the sins that you're going to commit tonight and tomorrow, Jesus was on the cross soaking up the punishment for them. Man, is that good news. And all we have to do to receive this forgiveness that's ours in Christ is ask. We turn from our sin and we say, Jesus, please forgive me. And you know what the promise is? He will wash away all our sins. The psalm says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Man, that's a, that's a far distance. In my mind, it just keeps going. It's an arrow going east and it's an arrow going west. And it never ends. This is what Jesus has accomplished. And so friends, when we are walking with others, let us be present with them. Let us journey with them. Let us not expect quick fixes, but more importantly than us being present and journeying with them, let us let them know God is with you in this. Jesus entered in to the darkness. He is available. And friends, sometimes it just takes you listening. Listening and saying, can I pray for you? Sometimes that's all that's needed. All right, we're going to take communion tonight. If you're new to Eternal City Church, we take communion every single week. Why? Because we want to remember what Jesus accomplished for us, his body broken and his blood shed. This is the center of all human history. Jesus' body broken and blood shed for us. Let me remind you that the only reason we can bear one another's burdens is because our burdens have already been um, borne by Christ. This is what he did on the cross. His person and work accomplished our salvation. And he will complete what he started in us. Philippians 1.6. God is faithful and he will complete what he started. And so if you're a Christian tonight, I would encourage you, take communion with us. Remember Jesus' body broken and bloodshed. I will come back out after we sing together. And I will uh, lead us all in taking communion together. So as the worship team comes out, if you could all stand, hold your communion elements while we sing. Don't open them and take them until I come back out. And I will, thank you, sir. I will lead us all in taking communion together and remembering Jesus' body broken and bloodshed. Amen. What a beautiful song.
God is faithful and his promises are ours in Christ. I want to read something for us personally that we can hold on to and that we can give to others in time of need. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says this, prophet Isaiah writing uh, about God and what God says. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, God, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Here's what he says, quote, I dwell in the high and holy place, untouchable, in eternity, lifted up. But then this, and also, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Ray Ortland says about this verse that God has two addresses. One is high and we cannot go there. But one is low and we can all go there. Friends, the reason that God can come so low to us is because Jesus came low. So low that our darkness swallowed him whole. Do you realize that on the cross, God was pouring out the punishment that our sins deserved? And he was buried in a tomb. That's low. But that's not the end of the story, is it? God was pleased with his sacrifice and raised him from the dead on the third day. And friends, we united to him are also raised to walk in newness of life. And yet, even though we walk in newness of life, we still have hard days, don't we? We are living resurrected lives right now in the present Yet, resurrected life prior to entering glory is still hard. Yet, this promise from Isaiah is that God will draw near to the broken and the contrite. Friends, so if you find yourself there tonight, know that that's God's address. Man, is that good news for the sufferer and for the hurting. We come to God the Father through the person and work of the Son, and the Holy Spirit's the one that gets us there. So let's remember together what Jesus accomplished for us, his body broken, his blood shed. This is a symbol of Jesus' body broken and blood shed, and when we eat it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's proclaim Jesus' body broken and blood shed for us. Let's pray. Father, you alone know where every person is at in this room. Father, you know the hurts, you know the pain, you know the struggle, you know the temptations, you know the fears, you know the victories, you know the battles won. Father, you know what each of us need. And I pray, God, that as we Seek your help, seek your wisdom, seek your face that we might walk with others. God, please guide us. 
Leave us not to ourselves. Father, energize us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. May we do it out of a place of acceptance because of Jesus, never to be accepted. Father, we thank you for pouring all of our sins out on Jesus, and there's none left for us. The punishment is done. Jesus said it is finished. We thank you for that it's finishedness that is ours. Father, may we go from this place encouraged, built up, strengthened for the journey, strengthened to be able to help others in the journey. God, please fill us with your spirit. Give us what we lack. We need you. We thank you for Jesus in our place, and we thank you for your spirit that is our strength. We praise you. In Jesus' name, everyone said?